The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome to our show. I'm Kate Ebner and my guest today, Tim Casey, is the director of the John Main Center for Meditation and Interreligious Dialogue at Georgetown University. We're really delighted to have Tim with us today. Um, Tim, let me just say welcome. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for having me. You know, we, we, uh, we thought a lot about the conversation we were going to be having with you today, Tim, and, you know, the the conversation that we had at our institute was really about the work that you're doing, helping people, especially young people, to integrate meditation into their lives. And, you know, I think our description for the show starts out with two questions. You know, how do you want to live your life? Big question. And the second one is, what is the experience of you that you would like to give others? In other words, what's the the, the presence you want to bring? Those are central questions in the work we're doing here at the Institute. And I, and I want to make the connection between those questions and the work that you're doing at the John Main Center. So let's begin, if you wouldn't mind, Tim, with just telling us a little bit about your work and um, sort of the path you've been following. Let's just open that up for you. Sure. Thanks, Kate. Um, you know, I often joke that I run the John Main Center as if it is a startup. Uh, I know startup is kind of an overused word, perhaps, kind of like uh, resilience, where we don't really remember the meaning anymore. But the idea of a startup is not necessarily to grow into a behemoth. Um, instead, the purpose is to grow to redundancy. And I really want to build the John Main Center here um, because I believe that higher ed is the right place for this transition as meditation is getting more more exciting. And I'm a little concerned about it becoming too monetized. But if I've done my job, uh, meditation will be ubiquitous in three to five years, and I could be unnecessary. Because the purpose (laughs) of a startup is to create a product so simple, so universal, that it spreads like wildfire and then becomes part of the culture. I like that. So, yeah. um, And then I'll just move on to another shake and bake project, so to speak. But that is my kind of goal with what I'm trying to do. And uh, I think the, the second question you had there was, was about, you know, me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've gone through many, I'm very much a child of my generation, and I've had many jobs over the course of my last uh, 30 years. I've been an actor. I've been a teacher. I've been a staff coordinator across school systems. I've been a producer. And now, most recently, I'm a 
director of a university program. So I think that our lives will constantly require pivoting, kind of a career reinvention. And therefore, we should remain diversified in our skill sets. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I know some Uber drivers who are doctors. And I think our jobs no longer define us, which is good. When people ask you, who are you, what do you do, uh, it's more about the quality of the person than just your job title. So it kind of creates a culture where we need to be lifelong learners uh, who can adapt to radical changes, um, work within a series of teams of different ideas, different cultures. And I think meditation is part of that transition. I think that's a great, I'm going to stop you there for a moment, Tim, and and I, I want to give people a little bit more about your background. And I know that you, did you graduate from Georgetown? That's correct. I graduated in 2007. And around that time was actually the time that the John Main Center was founded. And were you, were you part of it back then? That I was. So I was a student leader um, when it was founded. Uh, the, the two founders are Dr. Dennis McAuliffe, um, who is the director of Catholic studies at the time, and now actually my boss. He's the special assistant to the president on contemplatives in action. And the other founder was Father Lawrence Freeman, uh, a Benedictine monk. And when I was, I mean, I'm from Los Angeles originally, and uh, so I was aware of meditation growing up, and I had friends who were Buddhist and um, other friends who were hippies, and uh, so meditation was something that was, uh, you know, around. Um, I even remember when I was in high school that uh, there was a teacher who used to provide a guided meditation, and most of us just used that time to sleep. So it never was exciting to me at all until I came to Georgetown. Uh, and that's where I just happened to be in a course. Uh, I took it because I thought it was easy. It was called Why Are You Angry? <laughs> and I'm a pretty jovial individual. But it was on nonviolence, and it just happened to be taught by Father Lawrence Freeman. Um, and uh, Father Lawrence is pretty much the, one of the most preeminent uh, Christian meditators and that was where I learned how to meditate. So I come from an Irish-Italian background, um, so I'm Catholic culturally, but I wasn't really that religious at that time. But I found meditation, and uh, it, just, it just took. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned the title of um, uh, the contemplation and action as part of um, the title of, of, I think, your boss, you said. And that's one of the Jesuit values that Georgetown is based upon. And I'd love it if you could just explain a little bit more about that value and how it plays out through the work of the John Main Center. Sure. Um, so yes, you're right. It's, it's one of our, our Jesuit values, including women and men for others in a religious dialogue, diversity in action. Um, and so contemplation in action is the concept of uh, the idea that, that we should be contemplating our daily work uh, and then acting upon that, that kind of review. Uh, it's very much based on the, the Ignatian spirituality of, of, of contemplation. Now, the John Main Center uh, is named after John Main, a Benedictine monk. And so our meditation uh, that we have taught is actually goes back even before the Jesuit order um, and it goes back to the fourth century of, of Egypt, and it 
is actually quite, uh, there's a connection, there's an ongoing conversation right now because a lot of spirituality developed within the Jesuit order uh, from the Benedictine order. So there's kind of a, a larger conversation here. But the idea of contemplation and action is, is that our daily lives should have periods of activity and inactivity. Um, in the kind of theological language, there's also prayer, which is uh, cataphatic and apophatic. Cataphatic would be kind of asking God for things, doing things. And apophatic is kind of a negation, a kind of just letting go and being with God. So those two elements um, are something that we've forgotten. And uh, we were very good at the active element, but not so good at the contemplation element usually. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to bring that back. Mm-hmm. Thank you for for that. I, I, I really appreciate the the perspective that you've just given us. And I wonder, you know, just for those who are listening, it may be helpful if you could describe what the what the John Main Center is doing. Like, what's the actual work happening there? Sure. So it started when I was a student um, as just a group of people who meditated. Actually, uh, out of that course I spoke about, there was a group of students who uh, started to meditate on a regular basis, on a daily basis in Copley Crypt, which was a crypt um, on campus. And at that same time, there was a group of staff um, and faculty who were also meditating. And it was then that uh, our president, uh, Jack DeJoya, noticed that there was something kind of happening here, and he named a center the John Main Center. So it was a center in title at that time. It was mainly just a group of people who meditated. And for the first few years of the program, it was a place, uh, there was actually a designated place on Prospect Street, which was a house where people could meditate on a regular basis of 1230 and 6. So it's important to note that the program all started from a group of people who just meditated and that it grew into kind of a meditation center. Now, from there, in the last few years, as meditation has become more exciting, um, we've gotten more and more involved in kind of outreach. And in three major areas are, are where we're focused. And those areas are in healthcare, in business, and in education. Uh, in healthcare, this is a kind of developing conversation. It's probably going to be the larger conversation about spirituality uh, in health. Uh, but it's it's kind of developing a lot slower. So we've done a few programs with the medical school. We're in continuing conversations about developing that even further. Uh, but the initial start is on self-care. So it's providing physicians, uh, administrators, nurses, and other hospital staff, uh, teaching them how to meditate. So that's that's where that's going, and that will eventually grow. In the area of business which we thought would be kind of a smaller area. It's actually the fastest growing area for us. And we started a program that was called the Business of Spirit Seminar in 2011. And at that seminar, we brought in several prominent individuals from the finance uh, and business world to come to the McDonough School of Business and discuss how they meditate. And from there, we've had several seminars on meditation and business and uh, we even have a course in uh, the MS, uh, excuse me, in the MBA program. 
That course is called Meditation and Leadership, Leading from the Center. Finally, in the area of education, we've been focused on mainly higher ed thus far, and we have an association with many other universities which are beginning to develop these programs both on their campuses and spreading it beyond. And so um, we're working with some of the ones we're working most with are Harvard University. Um, We've had an association with NYU uh, and a few others. But we're really trying to develop a network within higher ed for meditation and best practices. Thank you so much. That's really helpful to just get a sense of the scope of what you're doing and how you're thinking about it. You know, Tim, at our institute, the Institute for Transformational Leadership over in the School of Continuing Studies, we've been doing some, uh, we've brought a mindfulness or a meditative aspect to all of our programs for, for some time. We also have been doing a partnership with the Search Inside Yourself program that Google has created and have brought that twice um, to, to Washington uh, as our sponsored guest. And so it's really wonderful to hear about what you're doing and where your work is, and perhaps there's some opportunities there for some collaboration. I want to posit something and hear your response. And Our thought as we look at the complexity of leading in the 21st century, and and really that just means right now, (laughs) is that um, the pace is so fast, uh, we can work 24-7 thanks to new technologies. We are um, living in a kind of boundaryless, fast-paced world where local and global are blended, you know, so that, so I, so with all of that complexity happening and, and it's sort of our new normal we've come to appreciate that mindfulness and meditation are not going to go away. You said, mm-hmm. you know, it's getting, um, getting, I can't remember if you said getting to be more fun or juicier, you know, in recent years, but I think there's this, um, this, this call for learning methods for staying centered, for staying balanced, renewed, refreshed. And it's really an, an essential element given the amount of pressure, stress, and sort of driving pace that people are experiencing. So I guess in short, what I'm really saying is this is, this is a part of the, f- the future, uh, the sustainable future. What do you think? Uh, I completely agree. Um, and uh, there are a few areas we could touch on, and I know we have some time uh, to go through a few. Uh, but you know, first is that I do think that you know, meditation is this kind of, uh, prima facie of this revolution. Um, I, I do think that meditation is a form of education. Uh, it is a mental and spiritual training. Um, and, you know, the university over the, the last century has become very good at knowledge. That has become the focus on knowledge. However, historically, the university was a source of knowledge and wisdom. So whereas knowledge is related to professional development, data acquisition, Um, wisdom is related to personal development and spiritual growth. I personally believe in some ways the the lecture is dead. Um, It was a method for structured promotion of data, but we have a better one now. Uh, It's actually the one I'm using to to call in on. Um, You know, data is ubiquitous. We all have access to it on our person at all times. And so whereas knowledge used to be the premium, um, it's now not necessarily. So, you know, what's going to happen to higher ed also with the introduction of virtual reality? That's about to just kind of come across uh, in, in a year now. 
and this will cut into the professorial and scholarly pedestal even further. Why would you go to class when you can sit and see the top scholar in the field from the comfort of your own home right in front of you? So what needs to replace the lecture uh, and this old model, this uh, 20th century model of university, um, is something in the realm of personal development, found in seminars, listening circles. Uh, and in many ways, this is not new age. <laughs> this is very much in line with the University of Bologna, the original university in the Western world, where students really kind of ran the university. They determined who to ask to speak to them, and then they as a group would kind of engage the material uh, in a new, uh, you know, in a, in a way that seems to us new now, but was actually quite ancient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, therefore, that wisdom should be kind of a new focus. That's the way I, I describe it, is knowledge and wisdom. And I think that what you do, and I, I like to think what we do, is, is in that world of wisdom. Uh, in higher That's, ed. Well, I, I surely hope so. And it sounds like we're working toward the same aspiration. We're actually going to be taking a break now, Tim. But for those of you who are listening, I want to um, I want to reintroduce you to Tim Casey. He's the director of the John Main Center for Meditation and Interreligious Dialogue at Georgetown. He also is someone who has, uh, for almost a decade, been working in the education sector, really initiating media literacy, service learning, meditation programs, working nationally and internationally to integrate new teaching methods for better results into schools. So you can hear some of that, Tim, in, in your recent comments about sort of looking at the way technology and teaching are changing the very shape of how we learn and where we learn and and the university when we come back from the break we're going to talk about that some more thank you for joining us you're listening to inside transformational leadership Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF-accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Inside Transformational Leadership 
produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. Hello and welcome back. I'm talking with Tim Casey and we're talking today about meditation, how to integrate meditation into your life. And we've been really discussing what's happening at the John Main Center on Georgetown University's campus. Tim's given us a great overview and I think an appreciation of, of the evolution of how meditation is being incorporated, um, not only at Georgetown, but actually into the way uh, people are thinking about the fields of business, of medicine, um, and, and also about own life. So, Tim, as we come back, you said something intriguing before in our last section of our conversation, and I want to go back to it. You were talking about um, the monetization of meditation, and you it seems like this is a, an important idea, and I'd love to have you tell us more about what you mean by that. Sure. Um, I think what's interesting to note is that meditation began to get really hot in the business sphere in uh, in the tech sector. And I don't think this is uh, just because the tech sector ha- happened to be in places where meditation was around, uh, you know, California in particular. But it actually was related to the fact that they recognized in themselves and in the data they saw in others that we were being inundated. Um, and so there was this need for finding space away from our technology and that our technology was actually driving the conversation. There was a lot of data to show that, for instance, push notifications, that you know, the way the program uh, responded to you was actually dictating the way people would react to it, uh, which is connected with this whole kind of AI conversation of who's in control, uh, the machine or you. So those were the companies that really started to look at meditation and integrate it first. I know you've mentioned Silly, um, Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute from Google. Um, and so, I, you know, one thing I often say is when we look at the previous generation, what were the companies that everybody wanted to be like? They were the generals, General Motors, General Electric, General Mills. <laughs> yeah. You know, these, these were very kind of Midwestern, very structured uh, very hierarchical companies. What are those companies today? I think those companies today are Alpha, Apple, Alphabet, uh, Google, and Starbucks. And so Apple, Google, and Starbucks, all of these companies have meditation programs. They were started among the executives. It was kind of an executive program. And then they rolled them out uh, to their middle managers, and now eventually Starbucks says that they will eventually have a meditation program of some sort throughout all of their stores. So there's this understanding that meditation is something that's important for the company culture. Um, And why is that? Well, I, I think that there are a few reasons. One is about being able to be in the present moment. One is about being able to be creative. Meditation allows us to be creative. And finally, it's about actually working together. <laughs> you know, the old companies used to be very hierarchical, very title-oriented. And in these new companies, there seems to be less emphasis on title and more on your ability to work in teams. 
So meditation is, is actually an essential element from the business side on that. Mm-hmm. But the monetization mm-hmm. really is being driven more than anything from the healthcare sector. Um, I know we, I think the university's had him a few times, uh, but the executives at Aetna have even put kind of a price point on it. Uh, they claim that if you have a program, mindfulness or meditation program, mental fitness program, that you will be saving $3,000 per employee per year. That basically means that if you have a medium-sized firm of about 50 people, a meditation program can save you $150,000 a year. Now, I think that's probably a little high, but it might be north of 100000 maybe. Why? The reasons why are due to stress, most importantly. Um, stress not only in terms of burnout, but stress in terms of other physical injuries that people uh, you know, injure themselves because they're stressed. When it comes to emergency rooms, a high um, majority of uh, intake is due to stress as a contributing factor. So if people are less stressed, they happen to make less mistakes, and they don't get injured. So I think that is a very clear factor. I think also in terms of you know, people getting along better, less issues from that, that also might quantify it. At the last industry converse, or excuse me, conference, and yes, uh, meditation has an industry conference, mm-hmm. and it's called Wisdom 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was very curious to note, uh, it was an interesting fact, that there were a lot of VPs from health insurers who were milling about. So I think this is going to continue to be a conversation um, within you, your health insurance premiums. And do you think that, the, I mean, I, one of the, the things I thought I might have picked up in, in our, when you first mentioned this was almost a little bit of apprehension or, or a sense that, mm, you know, this is happening and it may not all be for the good. Did I imagine that, or do you have do you have some trepidation about it? This is why I've come to this role. <laughs> um, it's one of the major reasons. I think that uh, I really believe in meditation. I'm a meditator, of course, myself. Um, but I'm a little concerned about where this could go. I, I don't have a problem with it being monetized. I do have a problem with it being too monetized. The whole idea of meditation is that it is um, it is efficient. We know we have data over the last 10 years about how effective it is. We know all of these benefits. It's sometimes uh, referred to as one of the only medical treatments that has no negative, negative side effects. But it has a lot of benefits, and it's, it's free, basically. Uh, I often say that I can teach somebody to meditate over a course of six weeks. I could teach them very clearly how to do it, and then I don't really, then they just have to do it. There's nothing really more I can add to it. I think that there's a lot of books and other things out there right now which, you know, are, if they're helping people to get them to meditate, then that's okay. But if it's about continuing to, to, to teach them, it's really only their practice which can do that. So this is the reason that I want to focus on higher ed, um, put it into the education sphere where I think it'll kind of control where it could go. Um, but I mean, there are there are other dangers with it. If you want me to talk on them, but well, I mean, I guess I think when I think about, um, I guess I'm noticing the distinct difference between um, the 
the choice to meditate as a spiritual practice, as a, a way of, of getting still with yourself and really um, giving yourself that, that space and also that, um, but the inner connection, which really affects how you are, uh, outer connection with the world. Right. You know, so there's, there's the practice, as you're pointing out, of meditation. And then there's, let's just call it the, the growing industry around around meditation and um so increasingly it sounds like there's our incentives to put in meditation programs and to to really make this be sort of a feature of not only personal life but organizational life not only spiritual life but professional life you know and and so this this integration that's going on is fascinating it's probably uh, largely a positive a positive, especially given some of the pressures and stresses we've been talking about, um, and yet we don't want to become too facile with this. We don't want to. We don't want to go through the motions, right? There's something really uh, deeply important uh, to practice here, and I wonder if you wouldn't mind, Tim, telling us more about what is meditation. And I think um, sure. you know we sort of assume that we all know what what it is, but I think it'd be very interesting to hear you talk about that. Sure. Um, and I think that an important thing to note is, you know, meditation is one of these buzzwords right now. I was talking about startup and resilience and meditation is one of them as well. So it, it kind of is encapsulating a whole kind of sequence of contemplative activities usually. So um, I break them down into three categories and this is my own particular viewpoint. And that is mind-body mindfulness, and meditation. And I'll kind of go through that description. So mind-body work is, uh, is where yoga comes from and actually also is where uh, the martial arts come from. Um, within uh, Christianity, there are a bunch of monastic practices uh, regarding farming, which were in the same world. And so all of these originated from monastic practices of when you entered the monastery or you know, your, um, your training, that you would first start with the body and you would bring the body to stillness, kind of a control with the body. So mind-body practice is also culturally where, about 10 years ago, uh, the United States began to start their journey as well. So yoga started to get popular. Um, and so that is the first step. The second step is mindfulness. I think this is the step we're currently in. In mindfulness, the focus is not on the body as much as on the mind. Uh, And so whereas in mind-body practices, we're kind of focusing the mind on different parts of the body and bringing them to control or stillness. In mindfulness, we are focusing on a singularity, one thing, and remaining with that one thing. So it's not just a kind of moving from body part to body part, but it's a kind of focused concentration, uh, a sustained concentration on one thing. And that could be the breath, that could be uh, a taste or a painting, but a mindful focus in the present moment on one thing. And here's the distinction. I think most of those generally seem to be what most people agree with. But the distinction I make between mindfulness and meditation might be a little bit more unique for me. And that is that the object of your focus in meditation is not just any singularity. It's not just the breath. Uh, But 
an object which has two qualities, deep personal meaning and greater than yourself. Harvard's coined the term faith factor. They were kind of looking at why monks seem to have these almost superhuman qualities um, when they meditated and then there was mindfulness and they didn't seem to get them. And so they came up with those two factors, basically, that it had deep personal meaning greater than yourself. So that religious point of view could be God, uh, could be a wisdom tradition or a family word, but something that is egoless. And so in meditation, you are sitting still, which kind of connects with that mind-body, sitting silent, which is about kind of that focus that you find in mindfulness, an empty focus or at least removed focus. And then you're focusing humbly and repeatedly on a object, which for most people it tends to be a mantra, a short word or a phrase, that you listen to humbly and repeatedly. And when distracted, you simply acknowledge that distraction, you let it go or disengage from it, and refocus back to that sacred object. And that's basically it. And and um, so say I want to I want to have you say just a little bit sure. more because you've said something interesting a moment ago, which is many things actually. But one thing was you talked about um, you're really making clear right the distinction between mindfulness mm-hmm. and meditation. And if someone is um, choosing to become conscious, let's just say, um, to, to, to meditate, perhaps to practice mindfulness. Do you see these two things as going together? Do you, do you see them as independent? And I'm just curious if you could, if you could help us, particularly those who are listening, who might be interested in finding a starting point. Is it, is it yes and do both, or is it start with one or the other, or could you just say a little bit more about how they work together? Sure. So for me personally, I find them progressive. So uh, even in my own journey with meditation, I was introduced to meditation, um, as I said, from a Benedictine monk. Um, But I I had trouble with it just jumping in. And I started to note that even in my own practice, even today, before I meditate, uh, I will kind of go through each of those stages. So I will do a body scan, which is a very simple psycho- psychology um, kind of exercise for mind-body. And then I will focus on my breath for mindfulness, just kind of sit in still- stillness and silence for a few minutes before I then enter that next stage, which is the meditation itself. Um, and I-, I would also recommend that you meditate for a period of 20 minutes, I know that seems a lot, and but I, I would recommend you do that uh, to get the, the full benefits 20 minutes twice a day. So at the beginning of your day and at the close of your day. Each of these steps, the way I've broken them out, uh, I, I've broken them out this way purposefully. So there's body, mind, and then spirit. So meditation would be more in that spiritual category. I often use the, uh, the word or you know, the, the uh, beginning of the word attention. So in the very first step, we are uh, being attentive. So that's what mind-body work is about, being attentive, becoming aware. In the second step, we are paying attention. So kind of the sustained concentration, of focus. And in the final step, we are attending, attending. 
So it's, it's a deep focus, but we're not trying to control it. It's something, as I said, it's egoless. It's greater than yourself. You're attending. And in this, we often use, when we're talking about uh, meditation, what we're doing, we're listening to our mantra, listening. So in English, this linguistic listening, we, we use this auditory uh, to describe this because what is listening? It, it is a deep focus, but it isn't controlling. You can't control a noise. You're just receiving it. And so this is, a, this is why we use listening to, to kind of describe what we're trying to do. You're not trying to control the word, think about it. You're just attending to it. I like that. And, and as, as people choose, so suppose somebody who's listening now decides, okay, I think I, I understand this process. I want to begin and uh, begin a 20-minute practice. Is this something that you do every day or that you recommend every day, Tim? Yes. So I, I, it's been recommended that you try to do it twice a day for 20 minutes. Now, for many people, that can be a little much. So if, if that is too much for you, then try to just do it twice a day for some period of time. Maybe it's a minute in the morning and then 10 minutes in the evening. But try and get into that practice of twice a day um, and, and just trying this. I think what you're going to find is an important thing, first of all, to note is I've been meditating for over 13 years now. And I... <laughs> My meditation itself hasn't gotten any better. Every time I sit down to meditate, sometimes it'll be a good sit, sometimes it'll be very distracted and very hard. So that doesn't necessarily get better. Mm. But what the influence that you find is actually on your times outside of meditation. So outside of meditating, where you feel more focused or controlled. Um, you know, one of our board members uh, for the John Main Center is the general counsel at the IMF. And people often ask him, how can you meditate, especially twice a day, given your role? And he has this great response. And he says, I make it a priority. Because time isn't about how much time, it's about the quality of our time. So it's about uh, quality instead of quantity. And he says that if I'm not meditating then the quality of my time not when I, when I haven't meditated is so much worse. And that he's noticed over the course of his meditation practice that when he was, you know, his subconscious time or, or unconscious time rather is actually probably the better way to put it. It's better. Has, has decreased. And mm. his conscious time has increased. That's great, Tim. Thank you so much for giving us that example. I think that really brings this, uh, illuminates what you're talking about. It's time for us to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about how you can get started with your own meditation practice. This is Kate Ebner. We'll be right back. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network founded in 2012 
The Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. I'm glad you're listening today. I've been talking with Tim Casey, as you know. He leads the John Main Center, which is a pioneering academic center for meditation and interreligious dialogue on Georgetown's campus. You know, Tim has also um, done done a lot of interesting work in the world. He's been featured in the Huffington Post, Financial Times, and Business Insider for the work that he's done. He also speaks frequently on the subject of meditation and young adults at universities, and he's done so around the world. Um, Tim, we've been having a great conversation today about really understanding the practice of meditation and how and where it belongs in your life. And I'd love to pick right up there and ask you... um, from the perspective of our listening audience, you've given us a great understanding of sort of the, you've walked us through the 20 minutes, I think. Um, you've talked and given us a wonderful example right before the break about how a, a prominent leader, a real live person is actually using meditation to great benefit in his leadership and in his organizational life as well as his personal life. Um, so how does one get started? You, ju- you want to start your listening. What's the first step? So uh, going back to that first comment I made, you know, it's so simple that it seems it can't be that simple. I, I think when we, we hear about meditation, we think, ah, oh, I could never do that. Um, and the reality is that it, if you just follow the simple rules, you you can you can do it, um, and and I often say that I can describe meditation pretty much throughout every wisdom tradition and religion in uh, encapsulated in three sentences, and those three sentences are sit still, sit silent, and focus humbly and repeatedly on a prayer word or short phrase of deep personal meaning greater greater than yourself. 
And when you're distracted, simply acknowledge that your mind has wandered and then refocus back to the word. Um, I often remind people that meditation is actually a Latin word. So it's a, it's a Western word uh, for this practice because this is a practice which is common throughout many traditions. It's not just uh, from Asia or uh, it's, it's, it's common many places. Actually, Aborigines claim uh, in Australia that they have a meditation tradition going back tens of thousands of years. So, but meditation is a Latin word. And what meditation means, translates as, is returning to center or coming to center. And so the act of meditating is only possible when we are distracted. So when our mind has wandered and we notice that our mind has wandered and we let that go and then we return or come back to our object of focus, that's when we're meditating. So in our sit, when we sit down, um, we actually are meditating many times. Sometimes it's easier and we meditate less than others, or sometimes it's a lot more difficult and there are tens of thousands of distractions in our 20 minutes of, of a sit. But each of those is an opportunity to meditate. So let me, let me have you say that again. What you're, what you're saying is that the meditation is the returning to center. That's right. And it, so meditation isn't the 20-minute period in which you sit. It's the act or the, uh, I don't know if I want to call it an act, but I guess it is. It's a, the, the conscious return to right. center over and over again for as few or many times as need be. Right. And, and what we're actually doing, so from a mental process, what's, what's actually happening here? Um, so if you think about, I, I spoke about the, the body scan in, in mind-body work. So the body scan, we kind of focus on different parts of our body. We acknowledge stress or discomfort in the body. And instead of ruminating on it, we just notice it. And then we refocus elsewhere to another place. And once again, go through that process of noticing, acknowledging, and then moving on and refocusing elsewhere. So I often, when I go through kind of introducing people to meditation, I go through a mind-body work and then mindfulness work and then into the meditation. And, and I remind them that see the distractions that you have in your mind in the same way that we saw stress or discomfort in the body. It could be good distractions, bad distractions. It does not matter. Whatever ideas pop up in this particular time, you're just going to acknowledge them and then disengage with them. You can come back to them after the meditation, but for this period of time, just let them go. It seems to be that all of the benefits of meditation are coming from this, this particular act of letting go and refocusing. Um, I often use the example of a chair. I mentioned earlier that meditation is not only something about feeling more relaxed, uh, feeling um, more focused, but also being more creative. And I'll describe why creativity is also linked with meditation. And that is because if you look at a chair, you immediately know what a chair is used for. You sit in it. And therefore, it's limited. It only has one purpose to sit in. But if you see a child with a chair, they might crawl underneath it. They might break it into little pieces and turn it into something else. 
Because the reality is, it's not a chair. Our description of it is limiting it. And in our meditation, what we're doing is we're constantly letting go of our kind of normal trains of thought. I, I talk about it kind of in chemistry terms. We have these, these chains uh, where our data is kind of all kind of connected. So one thing leads to another. And this limits us. But by letting that go and refocusing on the present moment, we actually can see a, a bigger picture. And we can recombine and reorganize things to create new things. So in meditation, that process of meditating, of letting go and coming back to the present moment, is constantly training your mind how to be in the present moment and be creative uh, with your data. So <laughs> this, is, this is the whole kind of, you know, the benefits of why this is you know, good beyond just a spiritual uh, practice. And I love your metaphor of the trains, trains of thought, <laughs> yeah. and letting them go. And and uh, you know, it it strikes me as you're saying this. It, I remember once, um, Tim, I was in graduate school in English, studying English literature and, and writing, and was we did an exercise where we actually um, captured stream of consciousness through the character's perspective, which meant writing three pages of stream of consciousness. And I learned so much about stream of consciousness. I learned so much about these trains of thought. And for some reason, as you're describing this um, hiatus that the act of meditating invites, it seems to me so liberating really to, um, to create space within that stream and to let thought though other places and, and, and ultimately to come back again, having had that experience. And, and I'm curious, you know, um, you mentioned that sometimes, even after all these years, meditating is hard. You don't feel like the, the sit is getting better necessarily, but what's around it is. Could you say a little bit more about, about what it takes to just have the discipline to sit, sit and do this, trusting in its process? So the hardest time to meditate is usually when you need it the most. <laughs> um, and that is when you're very stressed, you have a lot going on, and uh, you can think about it as just clutter. Your mind is, is cluttered. And people often struggle during those periods to keep their meditation practice going. Um, but what effectively it's doing is if you, didn't do, if you didn't meditate during that period of time, they often note that they don't feel as many benefits during that period of time. But if they were not, their mind would be even more cluttered. Um, I mentioned that I, I, I highly recommend twice for 20 minutes a day uh, to meditate. And there is research uh, based on a six-week study that in that period of time, literally the brain changes. Very short period of time, the brain will begin to rearrange. So two times, 20 minutes a day. It's very, you know, it's harder when you think about it than it is to do. It's just, it's a simple practice. All you have to do is just, you know, do it. It's like running. Mm -hmm. I, I often mm -hmm. describe, you know, what's happening now in this kind of mental fitness, uh, spiritual fitness uh, industry is exactly what happened uh, in the physical fitness industry. Mm -hmm. And there was a period of time when running wasn't that exciting or it was not, you know, it's, it's very simple. Anybody can run. Uh, but, you know, nobody had time for it. And then there was this recognition that if you put aside some time to run during your day, you would get all these benefits. 
And this is the same. This is a very natural process, just like running. And if you set aside the time, you will notice the benefits. And it will happen usually quite quickly. I would say give it six weeks and you will know. <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there thinking six weeks. <laughs> I know. That's the same. It's about the same amount of time as they say in order to get into a, a practice of running. Yeah. You know, they say it's about that period of time before you really kind of get into it. Oh, I love it. Well, I think you've just given us such a, a wonderful set of instructions and encouragement to begin this. You know, you've done a great job of talking about the benefits. And I go back to that discussion we had about the fact that this is, this is a way forward for all of us. This isn't going to go away. It's really, um, it's really going to help. So I wanted to ask you, because I know our listeners may want to learn more about how they can learn from you, how they can access the work that you're doing in the world. Are there going to be opportunities for that? Sure. Um, you know, first of all, I would direct people to the uh, website, which is johnmainsenter.georgetown.edu, uh, where we post all of our events and our courses. Um, and uh, But the other thing that I wanted to mention is, is that coming up in April, on April 4th, we will be having uh, a seminar that we're co-sponsoring with Catholic University of America. And that seminar is known as the Way of Peace Seminar. And in that, we will have for Father Lawrence Freeman, who I mentioned was the Benedictine mm-hmm. monk who uh, I uh, learned to meditate from, and he will be in conversation with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So that will be at Catholic on April 4th, and we will actually have been working with a group of fellows, students, both at Georgetown and Catholic, uh, to prepare them for this discussion on spirituality in a secular age. So they're kind of preparing discussion questions on what they think as millennials about spirituality. So I just want everybody to be aware of that. Uh, we haven't yet released any tickets or anything, but just to, yeah. to, to be aware of it. Is it something that people can attend virtually, or will it, will it be about attending in person if possible? We, we will also be streaming it, yes. Yeah. Good. And, and just um, can, you, can you just describe, give us the website address in case people want to go directly and look for more information? Sure. It's John Main Center, J-O-H-N-M-A-I-N Center, C-E-N-T-E-R, uh, dot georgetown.edu. Fantastic. Well, Tim, believe it or not, our hour has um, has passed together, and I want to close by just saying thank you. I think this has been, you know, fun and interesting and uh, highly relevant to the world that we're in, and probably what everybody is craving right now as the <laughs> as the year comes to a full speed stop. You know, it's it's wonderful to to pause with you and talk about integrating meditation into your life. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kate. I look forward to to working with you in the future. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.